It's good to see you back here this evening. This is the, the third time that we've had someone from uh, Creation Ministries International come and uh, teach and to share with us. And uh, if you weren't here this morning, there's a, a fuller bio on our speaker, Joel Tay, uh, I think on page 10 in the bulletin. Uh, he has several different degrees, uh, bioengineering, I think, or biogenetics, um, other things like that. <laughs> some theological degrees from Southwestern and from Trinity. Uh, and he's got a THM, I think, from, uh, from Southwestern. Uh, anyway, his presentation this morning was very good. Even if you've heard uh, before some of the presentations done, there was some new information. Uh, I also thought that the way that he presented it was even clearer uh, than it's been before, and I, I really appreciated that. And so we're looking forward to uh, hearing from our brother again this evening. So, brother, you come and teach away. Good evening, church. Great to be with you again. Okay, before I start, can I have a show of hands? How many of you, sorry, how many of you guys were here this morning? Oh, that's most of you. All right. So I guess I do not need to introduce myself that much. So I'll just go through quickly. So that's me and my family. This is our office in Georgia. Um, how many of you here would like dinosaurs in the office? Okay, so as I said earlier on, we have a website with 11,500 articles. That's creation.com. So if you have a question on creation or evolution, get to our website, and you will have some information there waiting for you. Um, so what are we going to talk about in this session? Well, questions, questions like this. Do dinosaurs prove evolution? And what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? What does the fossils and artifacts tell us about how dinosaurs were like? What were they like? How did they live? What did they eat? And then we will be looking at some of the latest research that has been going on in dinosaurs. Soft tissue, dinosaur DNA, carbon-14. What do these things tell us about dinosaurs? Okay, so when I was young, I grew up, that was one of my favorite movies, Jurassic Park. So can I have a show of hands, how many of you here Love the first Jurassic Park. Wow, lots of you. Okay, so I have a quiz for you. What is this animal called? What's that? Velociraptor? Yes, that was what I grew up thinking. I thought that was the Velociraptor. But that's not the Velociraptor. <laughs> you see, that is actually, the Velociraptor is a cousin of this animal. This animal is actually known as Deinonychus. See, the Deinonychus is a big one. The real Velociraptor is actually the size of a large dog. You see, why did they call that the Velociraptor? Well, I believe that they are the same kind of animal with slight differences. But you see, when the producers of the movie first came up with it, they said, Deinonychus, the big one, that's nice. But that's a boring name, right? So why don't we name that after a smaller cousin? So they call that the Velociraptor. Right, so they give the, the small name to the big dinosaur. So I grew up for one whole generation, and I thought that was the Velociraptor. But you see, many times that is the way it is. We only get to hear one side of the story. But hey, there's another side. And many times when we speak about creation and evolution, most people only hear about evolution. And they think, hey, that's all there is. But again, there is another side. And that is what I would like to share with you today. Of course, you Jurassic Park fans, you will know that in June, the latest one came out, Jurassic World and Jurassic World 2. Now they make it even bigger and they just call them raptors. So as I said earlier on, in schools, in the first session, I explained that when you open the newspapers, you go to cinemas, would you learn about creation or evolution? Evolution. And most people only hear one side of the story. But today we're going to speak about dinosaurs. We're going to look at a few things. But when I say dinosaurs, what comes to mind? For most people, you have this image in your mind of an age of dinosaurs, a time where these big creatures roamed the earth, where there was no human beings, everything looked different. But here in Creation Ministries, instead of using dinosaurs, which has been used by the circular media to promote the idea of millions of years in evolution, in Creation Ministries, we take this concept and we believe that when you start with the Word of God, it fits the Bible much better. And that's why here we call dinosaurs missionary lizards. <laughs> All right. The same thing that has been used to promote evolution can be used to actually bring people closer to the gospel. But before I start with that, 
what is evolution? What, what do they believe about how dinosaurs came about? Well, evolution says that the world is 13.7 billion years ago. There was a Big Bang. That's cosmic evolution. Out of nothing, everything came about. The planets formed, and then out of the ocean, you have chemical evolution, life coming from non-life. And finally, at the very end, you have one living cell, and from that, it evolved to all the different life forms today, biological evolution. But when you start with the Word of God, as I explained this morning, you have a very different picture. You have God creating the world in six days, 6,000 years ago. We read about the Garden of Eden and how Adam's sin brought death, disease, and suffering into this world. And then we read about the worldwide flood. And after the flood, there's a Tower of Babel where the nations spread out all over the earth. A very different history from the evolutionary idea that we are often taught in schools and in colleges. And just to recap what I said this morning, it's not that evidence is different. We have the same evidence, but depending on our starting point, we come to a very different conclusion. But let us first start with a Bible verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, friends, it's not enough for you to just say, I believe, I believe the Bible. As I say, that's important. That has to be your foundation. But the Bible also teaches us to train ourselves to tear down worldviews that are raised against the knowledge of God. So what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? And does it even mention the word dinosaurs? If not, why? Do we have any clues from the Bible? As I say, missionary lizards so that start with the word of God. But before we speak about dinosaurs, well, what are dinosaurs? See, dinosaurs is a very specific class of animals, a reptiles. But it's different from modern reptiles, most reptiles that we see today. This specific class of reptiles are now extinct. So when people think about dinosaurs, some of them think like this. But this is not a dinosaur. This is a marine reptile. And that's not a dinosaur. That's a flying reptile. The word dinosaur is a technical term referring to land creatures. A type, of a type of these dinosaurs that dwell on land, walk on land. And what makes dinosaurs different from um, these things is that, from reptiles today, what makes dinosaurs different from most reptiles today is the anatomy. If you think about how a crocodile walks, the leg grows up from the side and walks like this, right? But dinosaurs are different. Their anatomy is such that their legs grow straight down, so they walk upright. So we are dealing with a very special class of reptiles. But what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Let's start with the Word of God. Here I have a little quiz, all right? So I want everyone to choose something. It's not a trick question, but let's go ahead. Which of these creatures would have been on the earth the longest? A, the bird, B, the dinosaur, C, the dolphin, or D, the fish? Who says A? B? C? D? Okay. Remember what I say about starting with the Word of God? What does God's Word say? On day five, what was created? The flying creatures and the sea creatures. On day six, what's created? The land animals and man. So let us get back to that quiz. Which has been on the earth the longest? A, C, and D will be on day five of creation. The dinosaur, the land creature, would have been on day six the youngest. You see, starting with the word of God, that shapes the way we look at these things, gives us a very different picture of history. Here's another one, right? So what did dinosaurs eat? Were they plant eaters or meat eaters? So the T-Rex, we all know that the T-Rex has teeth that is six inch long. It's very sharp. So what would his original diet be like? So again, A, B, C, or D, choose something, all right? Who says it's A, a plant eater? Who says meat eater? Scavenger? A few scavengers? Plant and meat eater? Okay. What does the Bible say? At the very beginning, what did God create all animals to eat? Green plants. You see, death and disease and suffering, animals eating one another only came in after the fall. But that was not its original diet. But you say to me, come on, look at the T-Rex's teeth, he's so sharp. Well, I'll cover that. Does that mean he only eats meat? I'll talk about that in a moment. But as I said earlier on, the Bible says after he has created everything, everything was very good at the end of day six. There's no death, no disease, no suffering until sin entered the world. 
and we covered earlier today, the seven seas of history. At the beginning was creation, and then man fell into sin. That's the curse. And then God sent a worldwide flood catastrophe, the Tower of Babel, that's confusion. And then God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. That's the covenant. Christ came, died on the cross, and one day there will be a future restoration of this earth. And I explain everything down that line depends on what happened in, at creation. See, the Bible in creation tells us how God created, and the rest of the Bible tells us why he created and the implications of what happened in the book of Genesis. So let us go back to the book of Genesis. And as we said earlier on, God created all animals it plants at the beginning. But as I say, you say, come on, the T-Rex has sharp teeth. It must have eaten meat, right? But you see, today we even know that bears have teeth. They are very sharp. Yet most bears actually eat a lot of plants. Even alligators, sharp teeth. But about one-third of this diet is actually plants. You like fruits, for example. And if you can say lions, tigers, people who have kept these animals in captivity from young, they often feed cats and it's a tigers, um, cat food or dog food. And some of, these, some of these animals actually grew up on such a diet that when they're older, you give them meat, they will not even touch it. Okay, so this is very much a trained um, effect. Many of these creatures are able to survive if they have the proper diet from plants alone. So many of these diets came in. They began to eat one another after the fall happened. And even the meat-eating dinosaurs, the teleport dinosaurs, the ones with big legs and small arms, the teleport dinosaurs, research today tells us that slightly more than half of them actually ate plants. But wait a minute. What did I say? I said slightly more than half of them ate plants, which means some of them later on ate meat. So that raises the questions. If dinosaurs were created to eat plants, why did some eat meat? And how do we know what they eat? Well, first of all, as I say, because of the fall. But how do we know what they eat? There are a few ways to tell. For example, first thing we can look at is teeth marks. So if you find another dinosaur, another dinosaur with teeth marks on its bone, it means that another dinosaur was actually biting on it. So in this case, for example, you have a T-Rex tooth in a hadrosaur tail bone. In fact, in this case, we know that dinosaurs survived the attack because the bone actually healed around that tooth. So these are things, a record of things that happened after the fall. Another way we know what dinosaurs eat is by looking at their, at their dung. So um, fossil dung. You know, in the past, when I first started giving talks like that, I was like a teenager and I was quite mischievous. So what I would do is I would take a piece of this dinosaur dung that's fossilized, I will hand that to my friends, ask them to smell it, taste it, and guess what it is. Okay, but uh, I, I will not do that to you today. But, but by looking at that under the microscope, we can actually see what some of these dinosaurs eat. So in this case, for example, we see the dinosaur um, dung, fossil dung, contains grass. And this was a surprise to evolutionists for many years. Why? Because according to evolutionists, grass shouldn't have evolved until 10 million years after dinosaurs died out. But yet it's there, fossil dung. And so they had to change this. In fact, we wrote about that in Creation Magazine, grass-eating dinosaurs, a time travel problem for evolution. So it's only in the last five to 10 years that some evolutionists are now slowly accepting that fact. So they had to change their whole evolutionary timeline all over again. Another way we know what dinosaurs eat, by looking at their gut content. See, sometimes their gut content are actually preserved. And in this case, these dinosaurs actually have the remains of three birds in the stomach. You see, evolutionists believe that dinosaurs evolved into birds. But here we have a dinosaur eating birds. How can that be? Here is another picture of that three birds in its gut. You have the grandfather being younger than its grandson. It doesn't make sense at all. Something like that. As we wrote in Creation Magazine, recent discoveries of the contents of dinosaur stomachs pose a gut-wrenching challenge to the idea that dinosaurs give rise to birds because it now turns out that dinosaurs ate them. You see how this whole idea of an age of dinosaurs before birds doesn't really make sense. Dinosaur eat birds. Now we have another one. Dinosaur eating mammals. In this dinosaur um, fossil, we actually see three mammal jaws in its gut. 
And finally, we have a mammal with two small dinosaurs in its gut. Dinosaurs eating birds, dinosaurs eating mammals, and mammals eating dinosaurs. Where is your age of dinosaur? They were all there at the same time. In fact, two years ago, I was back in Singapore. Oh, sorry, last year, I was back in Singapore. And I went to a Singapore zoo. And they had a dinosaur exhibition. And don't ask me why they had a dinosaur exhibition. I didn't see any dinosaurs there. But you see, they had a sign. And they had this sign there that says, Dinosaurs didn't walk alone. They live alongside birds, mammals, like this um, mammal you're seeing here. This raccoon-looking mammal measured one meter in length and hunted smaller dinosaurs. So wait a minute. Dinosaurs, mammals, eat dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat mammals. Dinosaurs eat birds. But when was the last time you walked into a museum and you saw all three animals in the same display together? Why not? Because this destroys the whole idea of an age of dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, the idea according to evolution, dinosaurs were supposed to have died out 65 million years ago before birds came on the scene. So is there any evidence that dinosaurs are the result of a big flood? You see, if dinosaurs did not die out millions of years, if all these things were once there, then as I explained this morning, what is the best explanation for all the dinosaur fossils out there? A worldwide flood. So is there any evidence for that? Well, as I say, what would you expect if there was a worldwide flood? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. Sedimentary rocks, and that's what we find. Billions of dead things. But as I also shared this morning, how does a fossil form? People have this idea, a dinosaur dies, it's slowly being buried over millions of years, and then one day because of erosion, those rock layers are eroded away, and you see a dinosaur. But for the sake of those who are not here this morning, I will show you this illustration again. Scientists have done experiments. Here you have a pig carcass that was tied down so it would not float away. And they put a big cage so that fish, big fish and um, sharks will not eat that. And they place this in cold waters, low oxygen waters and deep waters, just to see what scavengers like lobsters would do to a pig like this. And the next picture, the same pig seven days later. Again, do you notice how scattered the bones are? Not in a nice position. Something like this is only seven days. If you want to have a very nicely preserved fossil, you need a catastrophe to bury everything quickly so it's forever stuck in that position. In fact, here we have two very amazing fossils. What's this? Two dinosaurs forever stuck in this fighting pose. The dinosaur on the left, you can actually say it's fighting. It's actually broken off the arm of the velociraptor on the right. The velociraptor on the right actually has its claw in the neck of the other dinosaur. And then something happens so quickly, they're forever stuck in this fighting pose. No tsunami today can cause something like that. So what kind of catastrophe would bury this thing that quickly, forever stuck in this position? This is an artist's impression of what happened. This fits much better than what I say if there was a worldwide flood. And another thing about dinosaur bones, many times when you find dinosaur bones, we find them in what we call dinosaur graveyards. And what is that? You have portions where you have tens and thousands of dinosaur bones all mixed up together, mixed together with marine fossils, clams, and fish. But dinosaurs did not live with all these marine creatures. And why would all these, marine cre all these dinosaur and marine creatures be all piled together in one pile? Well, if you believe in the worldwide flood, then all these creatures will be killed by a flood. And due to water sorting action, you'll bring all these carcasses together where they're rapidly buried and forever preserved. So when you see a dinosaur bone bait or graveyard like this, this is testimony of a worldwide flood. And for those of you who love dinosaurs, and I love dinosaurs, it's one of my favorite topics, you'll notice that a lot of these dinosaurs with that long neck and the tail, when they die, a lot of them take on this death pose. But no creature today actually lives with sleep, or even when they sleep, they don't take on this position. None of them have their neck, their neck bent backwards like that, and their tail bent backwards like that. So how did this happen? Well, this was a mystery for many years, and some people say, oh, these creatures may have been suffocating, or things like that. But most of the dinosaur fossils with these long necks are found like that. But just a few years ago, Alicia Carter actually did some research, and she came up with something interesting. You see, what she did, she took chicken carcasses, and chickens have that long neck as well. 
and she, she took freshly killed chicken carcasses and she threw them in cold water. And within seconds, all the necks bent backwards. Why is that? You see, these dinosaurs and these um, birds in this case, these dinosaurs, they have this ligament that runs down the back of the neck. But when it's alive, the weight of the body is such that it cannot overcome that weight of the body, of the neck. But when it's dead, when it's placed in water, it becomes buoyant. And so that ligament is able to contract and the necks bend backwards, taking on that death pose that you see early on. So the vast majority of these dinosaurs with their long necks all take on that pose because they were all submerged in water at the point of death. Again, let's start with the word of God. Does the Bible tell us anything about dinosaurs? Well, we know from the Bible that God created animals on, the land animals on, day six. He created man on day six. So the Bible does tell us that dinosaurs and man did live together. They were created on day six of creation and they lived together. In fact, if the fall did not enter the world, something like this would not have been impossible. But does it say anything more explicitly about dinosaurs? Well, when was the word dinosaur first invented? First coined, 1841 by Sir Richard Owen. But when was the Bible translated? The earlier versions of the English Bible were actually translated hundreds of years before the word dinosaur was, was discovered. So because of that, it's actually not surprising we do not see the word dinosaurs in the Bible. I do not see the word laptops. I do not see the word automobiles in my Bible. Why? Those words were not yet coined. But the Bible does describe an animal that sounds very much like a dinosaur. And that's in Job chapter 40. And in Job chapter 40, God is confronting Job and asking him a series of questions. And he named this creature called the behemoth, which Job was familiar with. And he says this, Look at behemoth which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength is in its loins? What power in the muscles of its belly? His tail moves like a cedar. His sinews and ties are close-knit. His bones are like tubes of bronze. His limbs like rods of iron. He ranks first among the works of God. What animal is that? What animal eats grass and has a tail the size of a cedar tree? What's a cedar tree? That's it. Can you think of an animal with a tail that size? In fact, the cedar trees were so big that they were used to as pillars in King Solomon's palace. So some Bible commentators, they say behemoth, they put a footnote, say it could have been elephant or it could have been hippopotamus. So let's do an experiment. You have a big tail, cedar tree, and you put an elephant. Does it make sense? What about hippo? See, this description in Job chapter 40 only fits one animal that we know. That is one of the long-necked several-pot dinosaurs. In fact, if you're at the zoo, if you do not believe me, take a few photos. Does that look like a cedar? <laughs> what about hippo? That's quite sad, right? You see, friends, there's only one animal that fits this description we have here. An animal that's a tail the size of a cedar tree, and yet it's grass like an ox. When was Job written? Before the flood or after the flood? After the flood. Now, how do we know that? In a few passages in Job, it tells us about how God had judged the wicked with a flood. So that means Job lived after the flood. So again, starting the word of God, we have a different picture of history about dinosaurs. So putting what we have learned together so far, Job saw a dinosaur. Job lived after the flood. That means what? Dinosaurs survived the flood. You see how putting that together makes a lot of sense. But when I say dinosaurs were on board the ark and they survived the flood, people always ask me a series of questions. They say, how can dinosaurs fit on the ark? And when they say that, I always ask them these questions. Can you tell me how many animals were there? How many dinosaurs were there? What was the average size of a dinosaur? How old were the dinosaurs and how big was the ark? And they can never give me a reply. And I say, if you can't tell me all these things, how can you say that dinosaurs cannot fit on the ark? Well, now I will tell you, I'll go through all these things. I will show you that dinosaurs can indeed fit on the ark. 
See, many times we have this picture in our mind. Dinosaur big, so it's so big it can't enter the ark. But indeed, some dinosaurs were very big, but some are actually very small, like the size of turkeys. What is the actual size, the average size of a dinosaur? The average size of a dinosaur is about the size of a bison or a large cow. Would that have been difficult to have it on board the ark? I don't think so. And in fact, I here have a little quiz for you. Here I have a little dinosaur, 15 inch long. Is this a life-size dinosaur? Well, that's a trick question. Because this is actually a life-size baby dinosaur. You see, even the biggest dinosaur first came from an egg. And the biggest egg, the dinosaur that comes from the biggest dinosaur egg that we have, would be about the size of football. And the biggest dinosaur from such an egg would be about 15 inch. Exactly what you see here. In fact, this year they actually found an egg that was slightly bigger. But even then, you really cannot have the egg being too big because otherwise oxygen cannot diffuse into its shell. So even the biggest dinosaur came from a small egg. And put it this way, if Noah was going to take two of every kind of animal on board the ark to reproduce after the flood, would he take grandma or grandpa or would he take two teenagers? He'd take two teenagers. Animals who are young, who may not have been that big and who have grown quickly after the flood. In fact, we know that dinosaurs grow throughout their lives, but they actually grow through a growth spur, just like humans. So dinosaurs will be small, and then they will reach puberty, a growth phase, and they'll shoot up very fast, and then they'll taper down at the end. And the way we know this is that dinosaur bones, they are like tree rings. They actually have growth rings on it. So by looking at those growth rings, we know how much a dinosaur grows at different stages of its life. Now, if Noah is going to take two of every animal on board the ark to reproduce, if he's going to take young animals, teenagers, for example, they would have been very small when they went on board the ark. And if the average size is the size of a bison, what would be some of these dinos younger dinosaurs be like? The size of a large ship, maybe? So the thing is this, it's not difficult to have them on board the ark. See, one of the reasons why we think they cannot be on the ark is that in our minds, we have a picture of the ark that looks like this. One giraffe neck sticking out, one elephant head sticking out, and it's tight and squeezy. But that's not the ark of the Bible. The biblical ark, the dimensions that we are given in the book of Genesis, tells us that this has, it has three decks, but it's four stories high. It's the length of one and a half football field size. It has a storage capacity of 522 railroad carts. So the next time you're driving and you have to wait for a train to pass by you, imagine waiting for 522 carriages to go by. That is the storage capacity of the ark. Here you actually have people on the right side for scale. You see how big the ark actually is. So the next question we're going to look at is how many different dinosaurs were there? And what do I mean by biblical kind? How many biblical kinds of dinosaurs were there? It's in Genesis the Bible says that God created all animals to reproduce after their own kind. So that means a dog will always reproduce to get the same kind of dogs, right? So in the same kind of animals, they may be variations of different animals, but within the same animal kinds. So what is a kind? Well, we know today, for example, that all the dogs that we have, from the big to the small ones, to the wolf, your coyotes, they all came from one wolf-like animal in the recent past on board Noah's Ark. <coughs> All the cats we have today, the big cats, small cats, all came from one cat-like pair on board the ark in a few thousand years ago. So does anybody want to guess what animal is this? That's a liger. So a liger is a cross between a lion and a tiger. So the fact that they can cross, in fact, this is, the liger is actually the biggest cat that we have. The fact that lions and tigers can hybridize, they can mate together, shows you that they once share a common ancestor on board the ark. In fact, here you can take a lion and you can mate with this liger that you see here to get what we call a lie liger. Okay, we have this in Creation Magazine. Again, showing that all these animals come from one cat kind on board the ark. And at the bottom right, you actually have a leopard, which is a lion and a leopard hybrid. The 39 different cat species we have today, from the big ones to small domestic cats, came from one cat kind on board the ark. In fact, through five steps of hybridization, you can connect the biggest one to the smallest cats today, the domestic cats as well. 
So the same thing. We have many of these Ceratopsian kind of dinosaurs, but they are one kind of dinosaur. So having that in mind, how many different dinosaur kinds were there? It turns out there are only about 55 major dinosaur kinds. And what did Noah have to bring on board the ark? The Bible says he has to bring two of every land animal and bird that breathe air through its nostrils. He did not have to bring fish, and many of them did go extinct. He did not have to bring insects. This could have survived on floating debris during the flood. So he only had to bring the land animals and birds on board the ark. Two of every kind and seven of the clean ones. What does that bring us to? Remembering what we know from the biblical understanding of a kind of animal. If the kind of animal is somewhere in between the family and the genus, and we are only looking at animals, land animals, that breathe air through its nostrils and birds, two of every kind will bring you between 2,000 and 16,000 animals on board the ark. That's all he would have needed. We already know the dimensions of the ark. Put that on the ark. In fact, they will only fill one deck of the ark. The other deck could have been for food and water. Third deck, I do not know. I'm just speculating here, but maybe for living quarters. But the point is this. There's more than enough space on board the ark for all the animals to be there. So that is not really a problem for the Bible. In fact, it makes a lot of sense. The dimension fit perfectly. So what have we covered so far? We saw that dinosaurs were created on day six with men. The Bible says they were originally created vegetarian, they eat plants, and later on begin to eat meat after the fall. Of course, we also know that God gave Noah the permission to eat meat after the flood. We saw that dinosaurs were taken on board the ark before the flood, and some of them actually live on the earth after the flood, as we saw from the passage in Job. But is there any evidence? If dinosaurs did live after the flood, what evidence do we have of them? Well, there's a lot more in this book called Dragons, Dire Dragons, that you'll see in the book tables. But for example, we have artifacts of dinosaurs coming out from China, 2000 BC. How did they know how to draw these animals? Here's another one. In fact, here, this is more recent, this is from the 3rd century. Um, century BC, what you're having here, what you see here is actually a wine cup. And do you see the handles? If you zoom into the handles, you see a creature that looks like this. What does that look like? Is that one of the long-necked several-pot dinosaurs like the Camarosaurus? And maybe let's go to Cambodia. One of my favorite examples, if you go to Cambodia, there was a king um, in the 12th century in Cambodia, in Asia. And this king actually built a Buddhist temple for his mother. This is in the Taprom Temple, in the Angkor Wat complex. And on this temple, you have all kinds of animal engravings. On this pillar, you have animal engravings of swans, buffaloes, monkeys, animals that we are familiar with today. And right in the middle, you have this animal. What's that? Stegosaurus-like animal? How did they know how to draw something like that? In fact, here I actually have a replica that's made. I'll put this on the table later on. You can have a look at it. You see, many skeptics, they come along and say, oh, no, that, that's, not, um, that's not a stegosaurus. And so you ask them, so what animal can that be? And they say, oh, that, maybe that's some kind of like a, a lizard or chameleon or something. But that just doesn't fit what we see here. Okay, so you can actually see that. And the interesting thing is this. Stegosaurus fossils are never found in Cambodia. So it's not like somebody could have dug out the bones and tried to reconstruct it. And what's even more interesting is that when, you first, when scientists first found Stegosaurus fossils for the first few decades, you see those armored pieces on, on the back? They used that thing that those were actually flat, like armored pieces, flat armored pieces, and not plates sticking out like that. So if someone was trying to forge something like this back then, they would actually have the wrong construction. But here we have somebody right in the 12th century, before they even discovered dinosaurs in the 1800s, drawing creatures like this. Let us leave Cambodia, let us leave Asia, let us go to the UK. In UK, uh, we actually have a cathedral, Kalau Cathedral. And Bishop Bell, who was the bishop of the church at that time, in the 1500s, when he died, they buried him under the floor of the choir. Well, I'm glad they don't do that today, but that's what they used to do in the past. And this is his gravestone. It's under the carpet today. And if you look at the metal strip that's around that tomb, you actually have animal engravings on it. You have a bat, a fish, 
a dog with a collar in this case, could be a pet, I do not know, a bird. And then right in the center you have this. What does that look like to you? Two several-pot dinosaurs necking together? In fact, what is interesting is that the dinosaur on the left is different from the one on the right. The dinosaur on the left is actually a long-necked dinosaur, but it has a tail with four backward-pointing spikes. And from that description alone, we can tell you that there are only two animals that fit that description, a Sunosaurus, for example. You can actually identify the species just from this drawing alone. As we said in Creation Magazine, if the evolutionary story of dinosaurs is true, this creature should have died out millions of years before human beings walked the earth. So how could their images be engraved on a 500-year-old tomb in northern England? It's like this cartoon says, if people weren't around when dinosaurs were there, then who drew their pictures? So again, more in this book if you're interested. So if dinosaurs did live with men, if we have evidence that some of them did survive the flood, and if we have evidence that most of these dinosaur bones are a result of Noah's flood, quick burial, then how do we know that they are not millions of years old? And one of the most fascinating things that came out of dinosaur research in the last 10 years is what we call dinosaur soft tissue. You see, in 2005, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, and let me put in a disclaimer, Mary Schweitzer, she's strongly anti-creationist. She doesn't believe in creation. She's an atheist. Mary Schweitzer found this bone, but this T-Rex bone was so big that she could not transport it. So the only way they could do that was to break it up into smaller pieces. And when she broke it up, she saw this. What did she see? Soft tissue in T-Rex bone. She saw blood cells. She said this, the tissue was flexible, resilient, when stretched, returned to its original shape. In fact, here I have a video. Let's see if we can get this to work. This is an interview with Dr. Mary Schweitzer. Um, okay, let me see if I can make this louder. Do we have sound? It's not working. No? There's no sound? Okay. Let me see if I can get this to work. Okay, I just play the audio and um, you can see what it is about. What happened next happened by mistake. Mary put some fragments of the bone in acid to dissolve away the outermost layer of mineral. But the acid worked too fast and all the mineral dissolved away. Being a fossil, there should have been nothing left, but there was, and it was elastic, like living tissues. This is the piece. No. She showed us video she took under the microscope. That's really what happened? Yes. That's the dinosaur bone? Yeah. Without mineral now. That's what... What happened next? Okay, now we can see it. When the video appears, the sound stops. <laughs> but basically what she did was that she looked at the mineral, she dissolved it away, she found soft tissue. And she could not believe it because she knew that these things cannot be millions of years old. And if you look at the video, what happens here is that um, they interview her and they even show... Um, all right. They even actually show 
what they did was that they actually interviewed her supervisor. And his supervisor explained that she was actually terrified. She did not dare to tell anyone for a while. She asked her, her, her technician to do it over and over again. Why? Because if you believe that these are 65 million years old, you should not be seeing any dinosaur soft tissue. But yet it's there. And she found red blood cells, which everybody knows from science, cannot last for 65 million years. Here we have red blood cells. How can these things be 65 million years old? She's, and in fact, she says this, it was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But of course, I couldn't believe it. I said to lab technicians, the bones are after all 65 million years. How could dinosaur cells survive that long? And then later on, further research, she found dinosaur bone cells. Here you have bone cells, osteocytes, you can even see the nucleus that is staying in there and different kinds of cells that she has found. Jack Horner, that is actually her supervisor. She says, he says this in the interview last year. When Mary was first working on this, um, on this material, she called me up to say she found osteocytes. I assume she meant the spaces where the osteocytes were being, which is bone cells, which is what I suggested. But she said, no, Jack, actually we have cells, and they have Filippo dye, and they have nuclei. And she says, Mary, the creationists are just going to love you. And she said, Jack, it's your dinosaur, your sample. When was the last time you actually see a scientist coming up with something and not dare, and doesn't dare to, to publish it? In fact, in this case, she found this thing and she's trying to push it off to the supervisor. The supervisor taking it and pushing it back to her. When was the last time you see a scientist actually doing that? Why was she afraid of what she's finding in the lab? Well, if you know anything about Mary Schweitzer, she grew up, in fact, in the interview she did last year, she grew up in a Christian home. She was actually never taught to defend the faith. In her 40s, she went to college to do a course on audiology. And she decided to sit in a course on dinosaurs. In the very first lecture, she went up to a professor, um, Jack Horner. And Jack Horner actually has a role to play um, as a consultant in the movie as well, Jurassic Park. So she went up to Jack Horner and said, Jack Horner, hi, I'm Mary Schweitzer, I'm a creationist. Jack Horner looked at her and said, hi, I'm Jack Horner, I'm an atheist. But he allowed her to sit in his class. Within six months, because she wasn't trained, she got so influenced by it, she became an evolutionist. In the interview, she said that destroyed her family, that destroyed her marriage, that destroyed her relationship in the church. She left the church. Today, uh, Mary Schweitzer is not friendly to creationists at all. But then now she's finding all these things in her lap, and she cannot give an explanation for that. She says this, I just got goosebumps because everybody knows these things do not last for 65 million years. Well, Mary Schweitzer, could it be? Could it just be the fact that these things are not indeed 65 million years? She says, as the fossil dissolved, transparent vessels were left behind. It was totally shocking. I didn't believe it until we have done it 17 times. 17 times? Why would anybody do an experiment 17 times? You see, she's coming with this idea of millions of years of evolution. And then she's looking at these bones. And she knows that there shouldn't be soft tissue. But soft tissue is there. And she cannot reconcile that with her idea of evolution and millions of years. Remember in the first session earlier this morning, I spoke about um, how it's our worldview that, that interprets the way we look at the evidence. But in this case, she could not even make sense of the evidence that she's seeing in her lab. And then, of course, this by a different researcher. Last year, they actually found in this armored dinosaur, partially mineralized dinosaur skin, patches of skin, reddish pigment, dinosaur armor, remnants of his last meal. He says, this looked like it might have been walking around a couple of weeks ago. I've never seen anything like this. Does this fit the idea that these bones are 65 million years? Or does it fit the worldwide flood model much better? And again, something recent that just came out last year in National Geographic. Earlier on, I explained about how all these dinosaurs, um, with the long necks, they all bend backwards with the tail. With this armored dinosaur, we see something very different. You see, this dinosaur in this paper explained that this huge 3,000-pound animal was washed out by some flood into the open, hundreds of meters in the open sea, and then it was buried upside down in the rapid undersea burial. This was in June last year. One month just before that, in May, there was another publication, a different armored dinosaur 
abundant soft tissue preservation across the skeleton, bony skin armor, skin impression, keratin, that's protein. And then again, this skeleton was buried upside down. You see, it turns out that those dinosaurs long necks, they bend backwards, but all these armored dinosaurs, 70% of all these armored dinosaurs that we find the fossil record are all upside down. Why is that? Just from September last year, scientists did computer modeling simulations, and we find out that these armored dinosaurs were once floating in water, and then they flipped over, and then they were buried that way. So all those dinosaurs, the long necks, they took on that pose because they were in water when they died, 70% of all these armored dinosaurs are upside down because they were in water when they died. A worldwide flood all over the earth. As this famous dinosaur expert says, dinosaur bones are not always permineralized. The bones, which for all intents and purposes, cannot be distinguished from modern bone. In fact, if you have seen the teddy bears that I had today, the fossilized teddy bears that were formed in two weeks, Many of those dinosaur bones, that bear is actually more petrified than a lot of the dinosaur bones you find in the field. Mary Swixer, for example, wrote, she said, I had this dinosaur that just came out of the field. It was a fresh old bone right out of the ground. It smelled very, very strongly. And so I sat there and I thought, I'm not telling anybody. And I'm working on this bone for six months, smelling this odor, which means there must have been organics present. But of course, everybody knew there cannot be organics in bone this old. Again, she did not dare to publish this for a long period of time. After we had the data, we didn't publish for over a year. I was terrified. See, what I did not tell you is that Mary Schweitzer, after she found all those things, and after she finally got enough courage to publish it, she wrote in an interview last year about how all her fellow evolutionists, and she's an evolutionist herself, her fellow evolutionists started to attack her from all kinds of places. In fact, she's a world-leading expert on dinosaur soft tissue. But her research funding was cut. And she said in the interview last year, she had only enough money to continue the lab, her lab for another one and a half years because she had money from a private donor. Why? Why are they so afraid of what they're finding in the lab? And since then, Many different dinosaur bones, all with dinosaur soft tissue, one after another. Here you have blood cells and collagen, another example. Multiple scientists are finding these things now. Almost every single year. Here he wrote, what, I, what we saw instead was soft tissue. It was totally unexpected. My initial response was that these results are not real. You see what they're finding, one of these proteins that they're finding in soft tissue, they're actually finding proteins now. Collagen. Collagen from everything we know about science. We can actually measure this in a lab to see how fast these proteins break down under perfect conditions, under perfect freezing conditions. Collagen maximum lifespan, 300,000 to 900,000 years, it will be all gone. Yet we find collagen. But dinosaurs did not live in freezing conditions, did it? If they live in uh, tempered climates like us, collagen, the maximum lifespan of it before it degrades away. 15,000 years, it should be all gone. Yet we find examples after examples of collagen. But if collagen is a stable protein, these other things we are finding, elastin, laminin, other kinds of proteins, are much more fragile. Yet we are finding this in what evolutionists claim are dinosaur bones that are 80 million years old. In January last year, a dinosaur bone which was dated by them as 195 million years still had collagen in it. How can this be? Everything we know about science today tells us these things cannot last for millions of years. And these things I'm just sharing with you. If you notice, all these dates are all in the last few years alone. This is new research, cutting-edge research in the scientific literature. Demolishes the whole idea of evolution and millions of years. Mary Schweitzer says this, when you think about it, the laws of chemistry and biology and everything else that we know say it should be gone. It should be degraded completely. But it's there. You see, many people think that creationists, see, you guys who believe in creation, you just throw your, your brains out, you know, and you do not even look at the science. But it's actually the other way around. It's not that we have a God, a God of the gaps where we cannot explain it and we say God must have done it. It's actually the other way around. Here is everything we know about science, about how fast these things break down. It tells us that it cannot be millions of years old. The laws of chemistry and biology tells you these things 
cannot last for even 100,000 years or a million years. Yet evolutionists claim it's 65 million years old. And I have news for you. If after all these things, you, read, you see this, and you still say that those bones are 65 million years old, that's blind faith. And you are actually being unscientific. Good science supports what the Bible says. How many examples of dinosaur soft tissue do we have to this day? More than 40 different documented cases. Every year, more and more examples coming out. And in fact, we're actually just looking at dinosaurs. But it's not only in dinosaurs that we're seeing this. We're seeing this all kinds of creatures. For example, here we see um, what evolutionists date to be 500 million years, one of the earliest creatures on the earth, bearded worms in this case. We actually find soft, flexible, unmineralized, organic soft tissue with proteins. This is not just dinosaur. This is every single thing that we know out there. These things cannot be millions of years. The fossil record is a record of the flood and its burial process. If you think about it, it starts from the ocean. What, according to the evolutionary story, the rock layers, what's at the bottom? Ocean-dwelling creatures, trilobite, tube worms, things like that. And then you go up, you have the fishes. And you go further up, what do you see? Amphibians, things like that. Land creatures. And then at the very top, you see some of the mammals, land, mobile creatures. But that's actually the order of the flood. If you think about it, if there's a worldwide flood and the waters from the ocean, the fountains, the great deep burst open, from the seas, it's being buried on land. What are you going to see? Ocean-dwelling creatures at the bottom. Fish, amphibians, land creatures on top. The fossil record is an example of the order of burial from the flood. And that's why even if you get down to these lower layers, we find all these things that have soft tissue in them. It cannot be millions of years old. So dinosaur soft tissue, rich history, fits better. So Mary Schweitzer explains, so that leaves us with two alternatives. Either the bones aren't that old as we think they are, or maybe we, know exact, we don't know exactly how these things get preserved. Do you see she's missing something out? That's a third alternative, isn't there? That these things are not millions of years old. They are a result of the worldwide flood. So what's the best explanation now? The best explanation the evolutionists have today was this experiment that Mary Schweitzer did. She took some ostrich blood vessels, she pickled it in an iron-rich solution, which is never found that way in that concentration in nature, and she put it on her desktop, on her, on, on her lab shelf, for two years. Two years later, she could still recognize the tissue in that solution. And she said, oh, therefore, this must have lasted 65 million years. That is the best explanation they have for this. But it doesn't make sense. You pickle that in a solution that's never found in nature, you're leaving it on your bench for two years, doesn't mean that will last for 65 million years. And friends, if that's the best explanation they can come up with today, this whole idea of dinosaurs dying out 65 million years ago goes out of the window. In the last few years, we actually carbon-dated dinosaur bones. And carbon-14 is not very accurate. But, but carbon-14 has turned out to be a friend of the creationists. Why? Because carbon-14, unlike potassium, argon, and these other methods that give you millions of years old, carbon-14 decays away very quickly, which means if an object is more than 50,000 years, all the carbon-14 would have decayed away. You should not detect carbon-14. But when you test dinosaur bones, guess what do we find? Carbon-14. Examples after examples here in the scientific literature. This was actually done by University of Georgia. Carbon-dated dinosaur bones. Scientists sent this to a lab. They all contain carbon-14. More scientists in this publication. Eight different dinosaur bones, all containing carbon-14. That places a limit. These bones cannot even be 50,000 years old, maximum. Coal contains carbon-14. Oil contains carbon-14. In fact, you take fossils that are found all over the fossil record, from the top to the bottom of the geological record, they all contain carbon-14, and they all give around the same age range. What does that tell you? This entire layer was, dated, was laid down in the same period of time, in a few thousand years ago. Diamonds are carbon, have been carbon-dated, and diamonds are pure carbon, and they again contain carbon-14. They are all young. And finally, we have dinosaur DNA that's been found in the last, three, last few years. In fact, now we have actually three separate tests 
that have been done using different methods, some of them very specific. In fact, in this case, the DAPI test, which is used to test dinosaur DNA, it's, it, it fits into the groove of the double helix structure of the DNA. It's very specific, and yet it's there. DNA fans degrade away very quickly. In fact, DNA, um, even under freezing conditions, maximum can last 6.8 million years, according to the measurements. That's not even one-tenth of when dinosaurs were supposed to have died out. And again, if dinosaurs did not live in freezing climate, but in temperate climates like us, DNA would have completely disappeared in 22,000 years. Yet again and again, we find dinosaur DNA. It's like this cartoon say, DNA, dinos not ancient. <laughs> so we have already looked at fossilized dinosaur soft tissue. We look at DNA, we see radiocarbon, we look at proteins, and we see that this is a huge problem for evolution and the idea of millions of years. But if evolution and millions of years are not true, then what's the alternative? Let's start with the word of God. So I would like to end my talk now, but I'm hoping that you guys see how if you equip yourself the answers, you can use these things, dinosaurs as missionary lizards, to show that, hey, the Bible makes much more sense with what we're seeing out there. So what have we discovered? Let me sum up my talk today. B, C, D, and E. So B, we look at the Bible. We saw that Job 40, the Bible does speak about dinosaurs. And then C, we look at centuries of dinosaur artifacts over the years, long before they even discovered so-called dinosaurs, yet people have been making artifacts of them. Then we look at dinosaur fossils, the way it's found. You remember the neck being bent backwards, armored dinosaurs upside down, dinosaur graveyards, the way they're all piled together with marine fossils mixed together. Looking at the stomach contents, what dinosaurs eat, birds eat, Dinosaurs eat birds, dinosaurs eat mammals, mammals eat dinosaurs. The whole idea of an age of dinosaurs goes out the windows. All these things from the fossils alone. And finally, we saw evidence of the young earth, as the Bible teaches. Soft tissue, radiocarbon, DNA. Friends, the Bible is young and the Bible, the earth is young and the Bible can be trusted. You see why we call dinosaur missionary lizards. The Bible says, God's word is true from the very beginning. Do you believe his word? So in the first session today, I, I spoke about Creation Magazine. I will go through that very briefly, not in the same detail. So this is a quarterly magazine that we give out every quarterly for $7.50. In a moment's time, I'll have volunteers hand out the sign-up sheet. If you're interested in it, just fill in your details and then take this to the tables, book table later on to pay for it. It's $7.50 every quarter. And if you sign up for it today, what we will do, read the fine print, it's important. Take that form to the book table. And when you get back to the office, uh, we need your email address. We will send you um, monthly periodicals in between. And we'll send you a digital version and a link in your email. So you have the hard copy of the magazine. You can send this link to five other people. Maybe your kids, your family, your, your grandparents. And finally, that's Creation Magazine. You take the first issue with you today and you get a high-quality documentary of Charles Darwin in Galapagos Islands where we explain things like natural selection and things like that. This used to be $19, and we give you a fourth DVD, a four-out DVD. Okay, as I explained this morning, I'll just go through very quickly. After Creation Magazine, the next resource I will recommend everyone getting is the Creation Answers book. So these two out of the way, what's, what is good for kids? Anybody wonder? If I have kids who are middle school and above, um, even to high school, my favorite book on dinosaurs is actually this book that just came out last year, Exploring Dinosaurs with Mr. Heap. In fact, adults love this book, they tell me. Why? Because in this book, you have all the slides that you see there. You have a dinosaur soft tissue. You have your radiometric dating. You have the dinosaur artifacts all written about in this book. We deal with the question, how did dinosaurs die out? Anyone wonder? Well, there's more than 2,000 circular explanations. The most popular one is as to what hitting the earth. But if that is how dinosaurs die out, why did delicate insects like bees and butterflies survive when dinosaurs both big and small die out? doesn't make sense. Okay, so we, we, we talk about that. What about feathered dinosaurs? This is a, a topic that I'm very much involved with. I can give a, a lecture a few hours long just on whether feathered dinosaurs exist. Well, just in short, because I do not have time to cover that, dinosaurs and do not have feathers, okay? So evolutionists believe dinosaurs evolved into birds. 
but the evidence that we have today does, just doesn't support that. And you have questions on that, I'll be more than willing to go through some of the evidence that's out there. So we deal with that. Do dinosaurs have feathers? Feathered dinosaurs? So all these questions that people have about dinosaurs is, is in this one book. If you're interested in artifacts of dinosaurs, it's in this book, Dire Dragons. And we have a DVD, a lecture on dinosaurs as well. So with that, I would like to end my talk today on dinosaurs. I'll be at the book tables to answer any questions that you have. You can have a look at these artifacts and the other fossils as well. And with that, I would like to end my talk. And um, shall we end with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege to be able to look at your creation, to be able to look at what you have done and see how the evidence fits what you say in the word of God much better. Father, we pray that you use this to strengthen our faith. And the Lord, that we'll give that all glory goes to you and you alone, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.